This is the Doc Talk Podcast presented by Betfred Sports 2022, episode 37. Dr. Rob, we're going to dive right in, right? Because uh, if we well, talk last time, lo- we did dive. Yeah, right. if we talk longer we than ten seconds, we're going to get cut off anyway. Because New Yorkers just interrupt us and and do whatever they have to do by popular demand. And he has to be back on the podcast, which is super cool. Uh, one of the smartest and quite possibly richest men that we know, uh, Joe Moglia, is in the studio again. <laughs> Hello, Coach. Hello, guys. It's great to be here. It really is a big deal. It's an honor. And by the way, this is last time I was on. This is different music than the last time. So clearly, uh, the Fred Pets, whoever your sponsor is, is stepping up. Betfred. 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 Yeah, we have we have a uh, we have a sports book because sports gambling is big now, and uh, well, they, they love to sponsor sports podcasts, and we love we love to bet on sports these days. I have no doubt. You know, no the doubt. last time you heard our studio has changed quite a bit, and you noticed that we've had some memorabilia up. We are lacking some Chanticleer stuff in here. We need to get some some Coastal Carolina. Uh, gear I- I- in the studio, Travis. You move me. I guarantee you, we'll get you something. In fact, we might have. A, we might even get you a real Shana Clear. He can fool around with Hank. <laughs> Joe's referring to my to my dog Hank, who's a 155 pound Great Pyrenees and Old English Sheepdog. But uh, what brings you back? You know, I know you come back and forth. You're probably in Omaha more than I even know. But uh, what brings you back this time? Well, no, I think really the uh, you know I spent a really critical part of my life here. I really do truly love here. Now, I was born and raised in New York City. When I went to Wall Street, I went back to New York City. I've got media relationships. I've got business relationships. I've got all family there. So that that is all, that's genuinely my home. But I feel incredibly strongly about Omaha. And I think I've got great friends that are, go- that are going to last a lifetime. I still do some of my medical stuff here. And when I come in town... There's an opportunity for me to be on this podcast. I mean, why would I not come here? I should be coming here more often. Uh, you know what? You are welcome anytime. But before we dive into sports, what the hell is going on with this FTX shit? I'm serious. I mean, I think a lot of people lose. This is like a Bernie Madoff thing, isn't it? Yeah, that's similar to that. So the uh, I can get into the background of it, but that... Maybe you want that. Maybe you don't I, want that. I, I think. But, I, I think a lot of people don't understand. I think they think, well, I bought crypto. Why don't they have the crypto? This was like a holding company where you really didn't own it. What? I guess take. Okay, me so this keep it as simple as possible okay. because it can get a little bit too detailed. FTX is an exchange where they do different types of business. It includes the cryptocurrencies, okay. Bitcoin, Ethereum, etc. Now, the guy that founded that is this guy. Uh, uh, Sam Friedman Black, Sam Black Friedman. I should know his name. It's around the name, Sam. And uh, he's 30 years old, uh, incredibly rich. He founded, he founded and was the CEO of FTX. Around the same time, he founded a research hedge fund organization called Almeida. Now, Almeida can do trades through the exchange. The exchange is just where you get stuff done. Okay. Right? So FTX is over here, is, 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 is the exchange. Almeida is one of the companies doing business with them. Now, if you're a customer that has their account with FTX, it's with FTX. That's it. You know that. It's protected, et cetera. They started a commingle fund. So, like, if I had my money with FTX, they would, be, they would loan the money to Almeida, and they would leverage it up so they could buy other things, and they would do that through FTX. This, that's co-mingling. That's out, out and out illegal. Now, when I'm paying attention to all this on television, 
you know, everybody, everybody says, oh, you know, I don't want to use that term for it. I don't want to use this because it's like, I'm not worried about that. I don't know what 100% reality is or the 100% legal side of this is. But I know what they're doing is bullshit. It's unethical at the at best. And at worst, it's absolutely illegal. I think it's fraud. It's things, all those things. So FTX last Thursday was worth $32 billion. Yesterday morning, they were worth zero, zero. Now, FTX, FTX has responsibility. So if you, we've given our money to FTX, you expect to get the money back. Absolutely. There's no money there. <laughs> so that, that's a real issue. That's, a, that's another issue, right? So you've got that going on. And then you've got creditors of FTX. And yesterday they claimed bankruptcy. They filed for bankruptcy. So uh, I heard uh, 24 hours ago that they had 100,000 creditors. Now I think the number is closer to a million. And how much they're going to be able to give back to the people that are is ridiculous. Now, the real problem with something like that is the contagion. So how many big entities is this going to have an impact on? And is it going to create some sort of systemic impact with regard to the market? I don't believe that's going to be the case. But it's still a horrible thing. Uh, that's the background. Now, I've got opinions on this, but that's the background. That, that's now, incredible. Was, was all of that that disappeared... Was it all cryptocurrency? No, but I think there was a good chunk of it that was. And crypto, by the regulators, by people, that, for example, Warren Buffett and uh, Charlie Munger, that don't like it or don't believe in it, they're very, very critical of it. And they're just saying, you see? See what's going on. Now, the, the real issue is this. Now, probably the biggest theme I have in my life that I really do believe in is kind of leadership. And if you guys recall, at, at Coastal... And the Omaha Nighthawks, we had zero rules. Zero. We Only Damn. keep in the country, no rules. We had a standard. Stand on your own two feet, take responsibility for yourselves, treat us with dig dignity and respect, and live with the consequences of your actions. Now, you guys understand, I had about 120 guys, another 25 coaches, analysts, interns. We had 150 guys. Call that BAM, be a man. Yep. It's on the back of our jerseys in the stadium, et cetera. Now, the first thing is, well, that's sex. Okay, well, let, let's cover this quickly. This is the same principle. I've got three daughters. The same principle I raised my daughters on. And it's been part of my, I wrote this in my first high school play, head high when I was head coach, my first high school in Delaware 50 years ago. That's what I wrote. I thought it made sense. It's, it's been with me the entire time, and it's the absolute, what I feel is the competitive advantage I've had in my lifetime. So it's taking responsibility for yourself. Again, it's leadership. So the regulators come in, the SEC and the uh, uh, CTFC come in, and you know, they keep complaining about it. So what they do is they have enforcement action. So they'll take, you know, they'll fine you as a company for issues. But this is... Because there's not enough regulation, and because this can all be done anonymously, you got people in here that probably shouldn't be in. Not probably, they shouldn't be in here. They're stealing the hiding stuff, the laundering money, they're doing all sorts of things that are wrong and illegal. But this, for the future, with regard to blockchain, for example, can become the currency that makes everything work. So, crypto is real, and its benefits are real. But there's no regulation. Okay, so here I say you got to step up. The FTC and the S uh, CTFC and the SEC complain about this. So they have enforcement action. Enforcement action is a punishment, but it's not solving the problem. So first, we don't know who's in charge yet. So the SEC, the Gensler, the chairman of the SEC, was, was being interviewed the other day, and they were asking him that. And they said, well, you know, there's actually enough stuff here that we probably could all join together. First of all, that's bullshit because... 
what's the first is going to happen? Nobody's specifically in charge. It blow up one person, you know, one regulator is going to blame the other regulator. That doesn't work. So one of them's got to take over the job. I don't know if that's the president's assignment. I don't know who does that, but there's nobody in charge. So again, there are regulators as sacrosanct as they are, have to step up and do their job. So, was was there any other exchange outside of this one? I mean, like I have a Coinbase account. What does Coinbase? Do I own the crypto that I like? I have some Bitcoin on there, like on Coinbase. Do I own that, or is that just a holding company? No, okay, it'd be a holding company, but you could own the coins. Okay, right. So the gold. I could own a gold stock. Okay. Okay. I could own physical gold. Okay. If I have physical gold. I can hide it somewhere in here and have Hank keep an eye on it, or I can, or I can bring it to, <laughs> or, I, or I can give it to somebody to custody for me. Yeah, and that's where you would go for an exchange or a depository or something along those lines. So Tom Brady's lost his ass on this, just to let you know. Oh, oh, oh yeah, Tom Brady and Giselle. I don't know how that prenup worked, but I guarantee <laughs> they, they, the report is Tom Brady lost a ton of money. Well, that would mean he had a ton of money with that. Now, he, yes. I, he did some advertising for them. Yes. But I, I'm not aware what he had. He, you know yeah. that he had a lot of money Yeah, that's, that's what they're saying. I mean, it all hasn't come out yet, but they're saying Tom Brady had a significant amount of, of money with FTX, which is interesting. So which leads me, because I, I think this does come to leadership. I think these are fascinating leadership conferences. Because 100%. I, because I think, I think sports teaches so much about business and business about, I think they all intertwined in some way when it comes to leadership, right? 100%. So what, in your lifetime, what's the worst thing you, is it Bernie Madoff? Is it this? What's the worst thing you've seen financially in your lifetime? Two of the hard, uh, the worst thing I think in the financial world, I think in the financial world, probably the Bernie Madoff thing is kind of, now, I've also heard subsequently to that, that actually a lot of people, a lot of people, a lot of investors got a decent chunk of their money back. But still, that was a big, 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 big deal. Now, did you know him? No, I didn't know him. And you know what? He had such a reputation that if somebody that was really kind of privileged came to me and said, I could get you with Bernie Madoff, I probably would have trusted that. Just because of the reputation. Yeah, because of the reputation. But I would have trusted it based on the relationship and the trust I had in the person suggesting I can introduce you to Bernie. But thank goodness that never happened. Yeah. All right. But the other thing in terms of leadership, in terms of leadership, that's a money thing. In terms of leadership, and we talked about this last time, I think, or we, we should have, we'll talk about it now. The uh, One of the most horrific examples of leadership that I have found in the business world in the world of sports, is what happened was the NCAA abdicating any responsibility and wanting nothing to do with NIL. And NIL is the most significant thing, in my opinion, that has happened to college athletics in the history of college athletics. What, remember a while back, 40 years ago, or whenever it was, like SMU and some other schools got the death penalty. Oh, yeah. Everything they got the death penalty for, it'd be legal today. And besides, besides, abdicating any responsibility at all, they give Emmert a two-year extension for another million dollars a year. I mean, like, this is, this is embarrassingly uh, upsetting. And, um, uh, and, and then the only thing that the NCAA did, now the portal already existed. I actually think a lot of the coaches don't like the portal because, because we lost some control there, but I think the portal was fair. But you did have to think about it. If you're going to transfer someplace else, you reckon they're going to sit out a year. There's a wisdom, I think, about that. It's a big decision. You're recruiting. There's a lot going on. But you can leave. You can sit out a year. They eliminated the transfer rule. So they have zero control, zero, 
zero control over NIL. Uh, there's got to be, you guys would probably know better than I, but I bet you there's at least 60 players right now making over a million dollars a year. In, in, in at Nebraska? Or all over the country? All over the country. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. the, the, I think the highest paid student athlete right now, believe it or not, is Olivia Dunn, an LSU gymnast who's at $2 million a year right now. Now, there's some criticism of her. She's making some money, but she sex sells, right? I mean, let's be honest. So she wears scantily clad clothes sometimes. And, and Tara Vanderveer, who's the Stanford coach, said, well, we can't do this. This is setting women's sports back years. She's making $2 million bucks a year. Two million, but she's got like six million Instagram followers, or two and a half million Instagram followers, six million TikTok followers, and just cash it in from uh, from sportswear to everything. But I think there's probably sixty players for sure making a million dollars. Oh, easily, yeah. yeah. So here's a question for you: When you look at what NIL did, and I'm, I've always been kind of a little more on the pro NIL side. Um, if this had come about, now I'd be the first to tell you, I mean, it was a total, I mean, a lot of people use the word or the phrase, it was a Wild West scenario. I mean, it was just kind of one of those, here, we're just going to open up Pandora's box and just let it go and whatever happens, happens. My question is, is if you came out, what what are you, what is your opinion on if you had NIL, but whether it was the NC2As or some other organizational structure came in and said, okay, so here's the rules. We're This is how we're going to do it. Here's some limits on it. Here's a little bit of a governor on the engine. If you had that, what I mean, what's your opinion on that? If you, if you did NIL, but you had some kind of structure to it. And the reason I asked that, and part of the reason I've been pro-NIL is because I went to college. I mean, I grew up very middle-class family in Lincoln, Nebraska. You know what? If I needed something in college, I'd hot, I'd go home. I'd just drive across Lincoln to my parents' house and just like, hey, you know what? Training table is closed tonight. It's Sunday night. Have dinner. And I brought a couple of guys with me kind of thing. Or look, get my laundry done for free at mom and dad's house. So on and so forth. That was very easy for me. I mean, talk about yeah. privilege of opportunity from where I came from. But I had guys like, I mean, Brendan Stye. I remember Brendan Stye, like one year his mom had what for them was an absolute windfall. And he didn't come from a lot of money. And his mom sent him this huge box right before Christmas. He's excited as heck, opens it up, and it's like, a dress shirt and a pair of black jeans, a pair of blue jeans, a pair of slacks, maybe one tie. And that's a windfall. And that was like, like every penny she had went into that and Brendan knew it. And you've never seen a guy, A, so incredibly grateful and B, so damn happy to get those, get those clothes. I mean, he was so happy to have a couple pairs of jeans and just a plain white Oxford dress shirt. That, that, was, that was high life living for him. And so I saw guys go through that where freaking toilet paper was a commodity for some of these kids. And so I look at that and I'm thinking, man, if these guys got an opportunity to make a little bit of money, and I understand having the structure on it, having some, having some regulations on it, but... 
maybe not two million a year, but well, then it also kind of comes back to <laughs> Joe. What would be better, NIL, nothing, or these guys become employees of the university? I, the problem with employees of the universities that becomes you start to deal with labels. You know, so I was at the Division One athletic. I gave yep. the keynote at April at, at Division One athletic directors conference, and I sat in all the meetings. And I gave the closing keynote, and they asked me to give my unfiltered perspective of what's going on in college athletics. Unfiltered for you is not that difficult. Well, no, <laughs> they, they, by the way, I knew it would be a little bit controversial, so I asked like four different people. I said, "Are you sure you really want me to do this?" And I was very sensitive to the ads, and I was very complimentary of them, but. Uh, at, at, at the at the end of the day, at the end of the day, this goes back and is rooted. So you ask, Ken, what do I think is the best? I will come back to that. But at the end of the day, you got, on one hand, I mean, I got married and I began coaching when I was in college, but I supported, I, I supported my wife and my daughter all while I was in college. And I paid every dime of my education. And then when, if I had somebody give me a scholarship, like, what a wonderful opportunity that would be. So there's a little piece of me that says, hey, we know you're working hard and we know all those things, but you are getting room board, room board books, tuition, et cetera. Okay. But when you look at the amount of money, you know, Nebraska would make over time. You can start to argue that. I get that. I get that. Remember, I am also very, very pragmatic and I'm a business guy. All right. So if you look at where the money flows and you figure that out, you're probably going to be able to understand what's going to happen next. You don't have to be prophetic. Just follow the money. So now, so 10 years ago when Delaney negotiated the revenues, the television revenue contract with the uh, for the Big Ten, that's why Nebraska and others wound up joining the Big Ten. That's we'll talk about UCLA and USC in a second, but uh, it was all because of television revenues. When Nebraska first joined, you know maybe they were in the third or fourth year. Nebraska got about thirty-two million dollars. Last year, everybody in the Big Ten got around seventy million dollars. Nebraska, Michigan State, Ohio State, Rutgers got seventy million dollars. About could be sixty-five, seventy-two around that. Then they renegotiated, so because they were the first ones to have it have the television contract. Um, they also were the first ones now to renegotiate. On the renegotiation of the contract, I think UCLA and, and uh, uh, SC become part of the Big Ten in 24. So maybe this kicks in in 24, maybe kicks in in 23. But the next number is going to be $100 million. Yes. Now, $100 million for every, just for football once a year. Okay, now, it's very, very fair now for me to step back as an athlete or an agent or a lawyer, I say, well, whoa, whoa, you are giving, you know, you add up the scholarship, maybe it's worth 30, 40, 50, 60,000, or whatever it is. But like, just by the way, it doesn't count filling the stadium, doesn't count anything else, $100 million. Like, you know what? We deserve a piece of that. So what happened was six, seven years ago, the NCAA didn't want to do any of that. College didn't want to give, it, give any up. But they're not being, they're not looking at the world. They're not being pragmatic. They're being academia. They're up in a cloud. Uh, ivory Tower. is the same. I always use the, it's ivory tower. That ivory tower is perfect. That was a term I always used. But it's used, a perfect but. one. It's a perfect one. So, uh, but if they looked at it and said, okay, the world's changing. So they came up with a, with, with, uh, uh, a compromise. Cost of attendance. Remember that? Oh, yeah. The yeah. cost of attendance 100%. was like five grand. 
five grand. So like everybody's like sort of satisfied for a minute. And I'm still just looking at it. And again, I'm, it goes to I'm looking at it and go, and we have to decide whether we're going to do that. So we got to do it. We got to do it. We're going to compete five grand, five grand. Because Coastal's much different situation than than Nebraska. I mean, does Coast does does the Sun Belt have a a revenue share? Does do you get any money? It's minimal. So like if we have a great year and we finish rationally ranked in the country, and uh, you know maybe the total package we would get total three four million dollars. Uh, let's put it in perspective. Oh, by the way, were you talking about? Did you point out too that we're been nationally ranked every year ahead of Nebraska. Were you pointing that out? <laughs> that what you're saying? No, I was, you, like I was, I was like, gonna let you gloat is what I was gonna do. No, you so, need to be looking at me because yeah, that's the Iowa I'm fan. an Iowa guy. So. I'm the husker uh, over here. I think about it. So you're about saying it. that I'm sitting over here going like God damn son of a bitch. <laughs> so we've Freaking got Chanticleers. So, <laughs> so our entire let's review last year everybody in the Big Ten got seventy million dollars just for football. Our entire athletic budget, including football, the entire budget, including football, is $34 million. And that's probably stretching that athletic department pretty good, right? Well, yeah. By definition, it does. Now, and, always and, and, and I got to believe, and tell me if I'm wrong, you're not a self-supported athletic department. No way. Mm -mm. So you're getting money from the university. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Absolutely, and then the university is going to get somebody from the state. Then you know you put it, uh, yeah, put a fee on, on the students thing. I mean, that's the way most of the world does it. And that's the way I think everybody does it. But the difference is now this TV revenue stream is coming in really high from the last ten years or so. So everybody settled down literally for about for about six months. Okay, well, we're happy to get five thousand dollars. <laughs> then they're going whoa, whoa, whoa. They're going to get fifty million dollars. They're going to get sixty million. They're going to get seventy million dollars. We're getting what five thousand dollars a kid? I said. So how about the really good ones? How about the really good ones are the reasons why you guys are getting seventy million dollars? So what are we doing taking care of them? It makes sense. Something's going to happen there. So while I'm not crazy about the concept, I absolutely see it happening. And in the world of business and college athletics, certainly business. What I think I would have done if I were part of the NCAA is I would have taken a leadership role. And said, okay, this is here. Everybody, let's regulate. This is here. So now I'm getting back to, to the to the question to the question you had asked, Travis. And like, let's acknowledge it's going to be here. Let's acknowledge it's big money. Let's acknowledge that, you know, school's not going to come up, but, but boosters are going to come in and going to do what they what 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 has to happen. And uh, but we're going to provide structure. We're going to provide uh, uh, guidelines. We're going to provide rules. And if the if we were in the middle of that whole formation, meeting the NCAA, NIL would have been announced, just like cost of attendance. But it's not everybody getting some money. It's depending on the value that, depending on the way you'd word it, depending on the value of your name, image, and likes for my business. I'll pay you for that. Now, if you're really, really good, I could pay you hundred thousand dollars a month, and I want you to show up every Thursday just to sign autographs. Or I could do a commercial with you. You say, "Hey, I love blah blah blah. I I I love that yeah. laundromat. You know, I I love that. That that's terrific." So, if they had been involved, the right thing would have been NIL with structure and guidelines led by the NCAA, and that and then everybody has to do that by end of that. But that's not what happened. They advocated. So when it happened, it was the Wild Wild West again. No, there are no rules, and. 
the when I was at the, uh, the, the athletic director conference in April, you know, they were they were going to come up with their plan to kind of fix this. Well, the NIL was already a year and a, a year and a half ahead of them, or at least a year ahead of them, and now they're probably almost two years ahead of them. College athletics hasn't come up with anything yet. They still don't have no any have, idea no. on how to regulate. No. Well, they're not. They, 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 no, it's going to be hard for a lot of this stuff to walk it back. You can't walk it back. It's not walk back. You're not going to NIL is not coming back. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. You can't do it. And the power, the power that the Power Five conferences have because of the amount of money, they're not going to go back and, li- and listen to what the NCAA has to say. They, they break, actually recommended they, well, they ought to break away anyway. Well, and that, that's the key is they, they hold all the power since they own football and the NCAA doesn't. They can only say, well, if we don't like what you say, we can go do our own thing. Now, it which, which I still I'm, – I'm still shocked we didn't see that. Well, I, I so the reason they don't year, is because they don't want to go do all the other bullshit regulatory stuff when it comes to grades and academics. Well, I mean, why would you want to take that on if you don't have to, right? You've got something built. The, the interesting part is, Joe, and I, I don't know if you've heard this number – uh, we we've heard at Nebraska, the yearly payroll to raise for their collective is ten million. They need a ten million dollar payroll a year to keep everybody happy. Is that number higher than you thought it would be? And that's just for that's just for um, football. I think a little bit of basketball and some volleyball. Ten million dollar a year payroll. I think it's lower than I thought it would be. Really? Now I, I trust I trust your information on this. So if you say it's ten, I buy that. I believe it's ten. But I mean, after in one month after announcing NIL, A and M came up with twenty two million dollars. Yeah, I, today it's probably forty fifty million dollars. I think some some of the, I mean, you include Nebraska in this, but Nebraska at least has some principles. But football is important, and they got to compete, so they got to do what other people are doing. No, I, I I think for the schools that have wealthy boosters, that are fanatical about the football program, that love giving to the university. And now have an opportunity, instead of giving directly to the university, because this still had to give to the university, but instead, I've got an opportunity to be able to sponsor or, or hire Rob, who's one of our best players, who's going to get to the NFL, and you know he's going to re- represent my business, my, my uh, uh, car company, or whatever, whatever it might be. So that's a direct connection that feels a little better and tighter for me than just giving some money to the school. Right, so so I think you've got a lot of people with a lot of wealth that love their university and love the football programs, and there's a tremendous amount of money out there. Now, ten million dollars a year coming up every year. Well, the point is, if you're giving somebody a million dollars a year, if one kid, well, you got to get it the next year too. So it is recurring. Yes. So you got to you got to rebuild it every year. Yeah. Now you want to know what you know want to know what our collective number is. Right uh, now? Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Seventy-five grand. That's all your collective is. Yeah. That's like Iowa. You know what? No, it really is. I was struggling with its collective. Only 220 people have contributed. Because I don't know if people are on board. Because you know why? For for so many years, Kirk Ferentz has told me, we've done it the right way. You know, we we, we, we take two stars and develop four stars. And I think See, people the, buy into that. Well, the interesting thing about Nebraska is that, so, I mean, I call them boosters. And they yeah. are. They very much are. So I've got friends who are boosters. Jock sniffers. No, not, not necessarily. Really. No, but no, not, not really. some are. Some but are, no, some though, but not necessarily. No. Now, the guy, the, the the people that I'm friends with who are boosters, it's not the million dollar a year guys. It's not the fifty thousand dollar a year guys. Um, 
it, it's guys that are kind of in this like three, five, ten thousand well, dollar. That's where guy, ABM made most of its money. Was it the, is, they went for the five thousand. But here's the thing: is that in Nebraska, I think a lot of the booster support. It's it's. I mean, there's there's million dollar a year guys. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but. S- Couple of these guys, a couple of these boosters that I'm friends with, these five grand, ten grand a year guys, they said if you look at the dollars coming into UNL from a boot at the athletic for the athletic department from a booster standpoint, the vast majority of it, it's not from five or ten million dollar plus plus year guys, it's from hundreds and hundreds of 10 grand a year guys is where it's coming from. Yeah. And it's kind of a dynamic that they even said is sort of oddly unique to, to Nebraska that it's, it's not like you, you, you got like a Warren Buffett out there who's giving 10 million a year to the athletic department. You don't have that. It's, it's, it's this almost endless stream of $10,000 a year people is where it's coming from. But again, like what we taught, what you had mentioned, all of that now is feeding into the, the NIL for Nebraska. So Joe at, 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 at coastal and what's I would say probably the NIL doesn't scare you the most. It's probably if you got a kid who starts playing really well and then the transfer portal probably affects Coastal more than anything, doesn't it? Or, or well, does? no, the NIL's, uh, NIL's part of that. So so uh, we've got uh, anyone – we've got our kid. Now, he was injured. He could – he's not he, – he might he might miss the rest of the season, but he's a two-time uh, player of the year in the conference. Uh, Grayson McCall, he's on the watch list for the Heisman Trophy. If he decides to opt out, he's going to be one round, first second-round kid. He's a legitimate kid. Now, if I am one of the larger schools in the country – that we care about football, pick any one of them, but we don't have a quarterback. This kid's legit, right? So a lot of the times the kids, because of NIL, if they're good, they may love this school. Grayson has a a shiny clear tattooed on his calf, but I could easily see him putting putting his name on a portal just to find out what's what's going on, what's out there. And I could see... If they thought that this kid could help win the national championship, they had everything else. He just don't have a quarterback. I could see him being offered three million dollars a year to go there. All right. So, so now I know we can't get people. But again, I'm a business guy and I'm pragmatic. I know that can happen. So I can sit here and like whine about it, or I can make sure I'm doing the best job I can. I got to recognize very, very quickly. There's going to be 35, 40 schools in the country that even though we can compete against them, like maybe today, a half of them. We can't compete with them. So let's not make believe we can compete with them. But let's do a great job, a great, great job in our area with with, with regard to what we can do. So when uh, a few years ago when the portal came out, all the coaches really moaned and groaned about this because the coaches had so much control. But after, And I was in for two days. And then I thought about, you know what? If a kid really thinking about transferring, you know what? That's fair. I shouldn't have control over that. I, a portal's a good thing. Portal, so I came out for it. But again, it's a serious decision because of the transfer rule. All right, so now you fast forward and NIL happens. The NCAA is literally not involved, not nowhere to be seen. They've abdicated any responsibility for that. But they made one decision, let's get rid of the transfer rule. So what you have is somebody at any point in time put his name up on the portal and anybody that looks at him say, oh, we could use that kid, can come up with whatever money they need to come up to get him. 
a little different than money. You might need to keep them uh, to, to get them. And, uh, and he transfers and he transfers immediately. Uh, now, is that what this was all intended for? No, I don't think so, but, but it makes sense. It makes sense that that's the reality of what's happening. So you ran your football program like a business. You were the CEO. Uh, you, you ran it like that. Um, when you look around college athletics now, are college athletic departments, well, I'm going to ask you a business, are they good, are they well-run businesses or poorly run businesses? I think they're mediocre. mediocre. I think you have a lot of very sharp athletic directors. Not necessarily sharp. Now, some are. There was always exceptions. And some, are, I think, are really sharp. But for the most, well, let's talk about a couple of examples. The look at the look at the severance packages. Ex coaches are getting <laughs> those contracts were determined between the athletic had to be approved by the president, I assume, but be, and maybe even the board, but between the agent and a lawyer and the athletic director and whomever else is helping him. And can can you mind if I take a minute and just kind of chat about this? No, you, you go, go wherever you want. Okay, okay, so no, you got so, so really a typ right typical now. contract. Okay, let's just call it five years, and. Uh, Nice contract, you know, good money, whatever it is. And after three years, you say, you know what? <laughs> this is the wrong guy for us. Like Jimbo Fisher's a great example at Texas A&M. The dude got a guaranteed deal, and he's got his buyout right now is like $96 bucks. That makes zero fiscal sense. Okay, I don't think any of these make any fiscal sense. <laughs> okay, does, that, does Kirk Ferentz's make sense? No, it's like $46 bucks. Yeah. It makes zero sense. Like, we're bitching about Scott Frost getting $15 million. Kirk is 42. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, it's, no, I'm not it's, saying it's we're relevant. Fire they're, they're, Kirk they're, yeah, but they're the principles. They're really the principles. And we can talk about Frost too if you want to. But, but let's finish, finish this. So, okay. So, what happens is now I, the coach know, knows his ass online. The agent is aware of the ass. Now, remember, all the agent, agent gets a percentage of anything guaranteed. Whatever he gets, that's what he's getting. Anything that he's getting. All right. So, uh, the agent's having a conversation with the coach and everybody recognizes. So they either really believe this or they put together a little scenario. They got to have some substance behind it where they sit down with the athletics. Right? Look, we had to turn the program around. It was shit before. We, we, we reestablished a whole new culture and foundation. We established, bam, we got, we got everybody's loving each other. We're ready to go. But it took us that while to get there. Now, look at, you know, we've done a little better last year. And look at our guys. We are ready to turn the corner. Okay, okay, uh, that's fair. You know what? Keep the contract. We'll honor the contract. We've got two more years. Okay, well, let's talk about that for a minute. We are ready to turn the corner. And by the way, this has been going on for at least 10, 12 <laughs> years, maybe 15, 20 years. But every time, every time we have recruiting weekend, the kid says, well, coach, like we know there's some issues here. Like, are you going to be here? And the coach got to tell him whatever he's got to tell him. Well, he wants to be, but, but, but you know, he doesn't know for sure, blah, 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 blah. So the only way that you can protect the program that's ready to turn around the corner, and you already committed to another couple of years, is you've got to extend his contract two more years so when a recruit comes in, he can say, absolutely, they extended my contract. I'm going to be here the entire time you're here. Let's stop for a second. But By the way, this is what's happening. Yes. Okay, so let's stop for a minute. I was thinking about firing you Two hours ago. And within that two hours, I've extended your contract two years. Oh, by the way, I've extended it another two years. I hope you didn't, but maybe even gave the guy a raise like they did with the NCAA. So what happens then, you get to the fourth, fourth year. Now, remember, there's always exception, but this is pretty, pretty fair uh, example. 
you know what? We got the wrong guy. We just, it's a mistake. It's a mistake. You know, we got to cut our loss. We've got to make a tough decision. We've got to go. And you're getting heat from everybody around you. Now you cut him. Now guess what? Oh, now you got to pay him out for three and a half years. And the, 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 the service pack becomes whatever it is, whether it's 10 million or 80 million or 20, whatever it is. That's what happens. So I cannot understand a poor example of understanding business and business leadership than agents doing this consistently to the athletic directors and the presidents of our country. And it's happening again and again and again and again and again. One more point. And this is the one that kind of hits me the most. Uh, but I find all that ludicrous. I was, I was given the, the ADs too, besides the NIL, I was talking, talking about this principle. Say, if you have a contract with the, uh, you're a coach in the uh, NFL, you got a five-year contract, what happened? You honor the contract. If I fire you, that's okay, but I got to pay you out. Uh, and if I don't want to extend it, that's okay. Then we renegotiate it. We'll figure it out. But it's a five-year contract. That's it. Nobody can mess with you. You can't come in, right? That's it. In the business world, CEO or senior executives got a five-year contract. Nobody else can come in and stop messing around with that. It's, it's, you can't do that. Probably non-compete in there too, right? Or well, well like that. yeah, there may very well be. Okay. College athletics. Let's talk about football for a minute. We have this thing that we call a buyout. Now, so if 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 the typical power five coach is going to make that, you know, they want, it's going to make $5 million. And the typical buyout was like $750,000. And I'm getting a check for the Big Ten for $70 million. And I'm already willing to pay a severance package of like $25 million. Oh my God, no way I can touch this guy. I got to pay a $750,000 buyout. So it's irrelevant. But for the, for the agents... Oh no no! The buyout's critical because you have that freedom to be able to move. And I, I I don't know I don't know if the buyout gets the buyout might even be charged against them. But they are fanatical about it. Okay, so uh, I have a major 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 problem with this. Uh, if the NFL ran themselves like college is running themselves now, like you don't have to honor a contract and you can leave anytime you want to. And with these incredible severance packages, they'd go out of business. Now, they're not going out of business, but they would struggle. It would be, be, be a bad thing for them. So what happens is, like my guys, I love my guy, Jamie. I, I love the guy. But somebody's going to eventually ask him to take over the program. I mean, he's been on like every watch list. I mean, his name gets brought up all the as, time. As it should be, as it should be. And, but he's not going to leave for, uh, he's going to leave, he's not going to leave for like, a double, he's going to leave for a significant, and I'll tell him he should leave, for a significant increase. You think he's going to go any place that doesn't have NIL money? No, he's not going to go anyplace with NIL money. And you think he's not going to go someplace that's going to give him a significant uh, uh, budget for his coaches, his staff? Okay, now he leaves. Now, Jamie would say to me, well, coach, I would never take one of our players. And I believe, by the way, I, I love the guy, and I totally trust him and respect him. And he's happy at Coastal. <laughs> but, while he wouldn't recruit one of our guys, if everybody puts the name up on the portal, he'd say to me, he said, Coach, well, you know, I gotta, he said, I can't let him go someplace else. Okay, so he's got NIL money to take our very, very best players. By the way, this would be typical of anybody. I'm sure would. What's closest to me as, as a real example. He goes someplace else, we get $750,000 buyout or something ridiculous. We're committed to trying to make the program more competitive and all those things we've got going on. And uh, he could take every one of our staff and he could take every one of our players and they could play for him right away if they want to. So the 
commitment that he and I have, and our effort that he and I together put in over the last decade to get closer to where we are today, can almost decimate the program. So I got to make sure we are really, really ready to go. So if Jamie were to announce at noontime he's leaving, then two o'clock in the afternoon, we're going to announce we got a new guy. And you got to recognize. So I think there used to be a time, and I felt this was a competitive advantage I have, Coach Osborne had it and others had it, where you were really building a program. You know, you're bringing in the right guys. The two-star to the four-star, you know, you, you do, but you're building a program. You're doing all those things. You'll bring in an outside guy once in a while, but you're really building a program. And the kids know that, they feel that, they're part of the family, you're going to bring kids, they're going to be part of that. But that kind of goes away now because it becomes a little bit more like, yeah, yeah. I mean, how many times are you watching a game where like somebody did a good job? So, yeah, he was a transfer, he was a tra transfer. Every, every, yeah. every game only, on every Saturday. Well, that's only going to increase. So, well, the way you, I hear you talking then, and it's almost taking a business plan, you said if Jamie left, you would have a new guy named like two o'clock. Do you have succession plan in mind? Or are you, do you, are you building a succession plan at Coastal already? I've been, I think every leader, if you don't build a succession plan, you're not doing your job. I've had a succession plan in mind since the time I was head coach. And I look at that every year. So, yeah. So, okay. So, but I did that originally with Jamie. And then immediately I started doing what, what happens if Jamie leaves and goes someplace else. By the way, a lot of people, no, 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 I don't do that. Okay. You should fire that guy. <laughs> because this is the job. Part of your job is succession planning. The most important job <clears throat> a board has is the succession planning on the CEO. I think the most important job a, a, a university board has is the succession plan of the president. And it's like, you knew this guy was stepping down for the last three years, and you're kind of working on this the last couple of months. So I think in, in athletics, uh, if, if you're not totally, absolutely staying on top of, by, as a football coach, when I was coaching, I had to file for like the top two or three linebacker coach or the defense, uh, the, the, the secondary coaches, the offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, recruiting coordinator. I had a file of two or three of those in every one of those positions every year that I would always try to stay on top of. So if I'm responsible for the program, I'd be doing the same same thing. But I've done this every job I've ever had. Have you talked to Trev Alberts at all during his coaching search? No. But, 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 but that's no big deal. But in terms of, but the answer is no, but that doesn't matter. Uh, but in terms of what my job, I remember to me, I'm not a business, I'm not a business guy who just happened to be in football. I'm a football coach. But I am pragmatic enough that there is a business element to this that makes you a better football coach with a better football program. So some of these things that like kind of I do, I, people say, oh, wow, you do that? I'm thinking like, yeah, I started that probably 25, 30 years ago. And, and my question was not based on whether you, you'd want to coach Nebraska. It was based on just advice uh, of who's out there from a business standpoint because – well, I mean, I think you have a, a, a lot of knowledge. To, to which provide. actually, somebody made a point on Twitter that they, because it stayed fairly quiet. There's been a ton of rumors. But normally when, when a Nebraska coach gets fired, you hear a lot of, you hear a lot of chatter that comes out of the athletic department that comes out of Lincoln. And, and when Trev fired Scott, I mean, it was just, God, it was radio silent. And it, and it has been ever since. But somebody made the point that the reason that's the case, they think, is that Trev had a, had a, I can't even talk, succession, succession plan. plan already in place where he knew he had this top three list, top five list, whatever it is. And it wasn't a situation where he had to travel around the country. He had to go talk to guys. He already had this in place. 
And it's, yeah, he's going to wait till the season's over and he's going to make his announcement. But a lot of people are saying the reason it's been so quiet is because he did have that succession plan already to go. So I would applaud him for that. By the way, I know Trevor a little bit, a little bit. I mean, he was at UNO when I was here. Mm -hmm. And I I know him a little bit. And we're not buddies, but I know him. I like him. I respect him. I think he's a solid guy. I like the fact that that he left broadcasting to become the guy at UNO. And I could have easily seen him. Uh, that he would wind up in Nebraska. And I think that would have been, been good for Nebraska. But, by the way, and I would, would hope he had a succession plan. Okay, so let's stop him. He got a succession plan. Well, should Scott have been fired last year? Yes. The first, okay, well then, if you got a succession plan, and you got a plan, do it. Now, here's the one spot where I, I am critical of him, and I've said it out loud. Uh, you should have done it in the past. It should have already been done. But you do it, whatever, the middle of September, middle of October, whenever it was, and you wait two weeks and you save $7.5 million, and you don't need to do that. And when you see the paper and the press release, one of the things you said, well, you know, we want, we want to do this for our kids. I have no idea what that even means. Uh, given, given Scott an extra $7.5 million for two weeks, yeah, we're doing that for our kids. I don't get that. And then and he says, but, you know, it's, it's price to kind of do business. We had it. We have the money. We have the assets. We have it. Okay, you don't do things because you happen to have it. You make smart decisions with the money you have, but that reinforces the point I'm making, that the universities in athletics have so much money, they do not know how to manage it. They do not know how to manage it. So what do you wind up with? You wind up with, like, you just had the most spectacular weight room in the world, and, like, you build a new spectacular weight room five years later. Okay, I don't know. That doesn't make any sense, but you do it. And uh, they say, well, we got to keep up with everybody else. That weight room probably lasts the next 25 years and nobody's not going to come because that weight room is not as spectacular perhaps as somebody else's weight room. And, uh, but you, you've got to, and that's where the money comes in with regard to the coaches. I got to do whatever I can. The pressure's so great. I got to win. So I'm going to do whatever I can to get this particular guy, but do a good analysis when you hire, by the way, you know how many coaches, head coach decisions are made that are mistakes. Uh, a, a lot. Ton. Right. So I said, what, <laughs> look, look at the resume and, was that, oh my God, that was great, we got that guy? Or was like, okay, I hope this one's going to be right. Most of the time you can say, okay, I hope this one's going to be right. But you want to make a splash, recruiting, signing day, big splash. Oh my God, we got this five-star recruit, we got this head, we got one of the best classes in the country. Irrelevant. Evaluate that two years later and see how many of those guys that were big shots in signing day are still with the program and at least part of the two deeper special teams. Uh, if a guy was injured, kind of, you don't count that. I've done this analysis. Actually, I did it when I was at Nebraska. I did it with five schools. I don't want to get into that part too much. But 50% of the, of the picks were mistakes, 50%. So when I went to Coastal, I think, okay, here were some of the reasons why we made those mistakes. I said, so if I can just eliminate those mistakes maybe our percentage success is going to be a little better. And frankly, I think it's about probably 72%. I think that's bad. But it's not bad in reality what's going on in the world. So this is, ha- this is happening again and again and again and again. Here's where business, like, you got to be able to get the job done. You hire a great guy. Remember the, oh, we got it. You got to win the press conference. You win the press conference on opening day. A lot of, posi- not opening day, the sign- signing your coach, opening. Okay. It doesn't matter. 
evaluate what he ultimately does, and that's the home run. Even if he's not as popular as you like opening day, if he starts, I wasn't popular at Coastal Carolina. You weren't. They hated me. Okay, but they started and said, whoa, this guy's not so bad. So it's it's we don't hold, again, leadership principle. You have to be accountable for what you've done, and you live with the consequences of your actions. I see mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake. We haven't even gotten to politics on this yet. And, 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 and nobody's really held accountable. You're able to get away with making horrible, horrible decisions. When uh, was it Peterson was AD and uh, Harvey Perlman was the, the chancellor yes. when they fired Callahan? Yeah, well, no, Peterson was fired before Callahan. So Peterson got fired and then Tom came in as interim and, yeah. then, and then fired Callahan after the season. Okay, so a year or two before that, when everybody knew Callahan was was on the ropes, Peterson gave him a bigger contract. Yes, that the chancellor had to had to sign. And if I'm not mistaken, Peterson got a bigger contract from. The That's team. where I'm going. Okay, then the chancellor. I'm sure they sold that too. Well, well, if, you know, I got to be here with my coach. I got to be here. General, you know, same. It's agent talk. It's not real world talk. So it's like I need, so. He gets a bigger contract for a guy we kind of know we're going to have fire, right? I mean, we kind of knew that. I'd say the same thing about Scott. I said, we kind of he's going to be fired. And oh, by the way, you know, how about me? I need I got to be with the guy. I'm your guy. You got to count on me. And Harvey wasn't totally focused on football or athletics, but I am. I'm your guy. You know, I'm your guy. I need a bigger contract. I get a bigger contract. So a year or so later, I get fired. I get a big service package, and then Callie gets fired, and he gets a bigger service package. Now, you're kidding. Like, you're joking. Like, like that's real. If somebody told me that, and I, I truly feel a part of Nebraska, and I truly love, love the place. Uh, our team, our program, the school, the state, Omaha, I really genuinely do. If somebody said that to me, I go, no, no, that wouldn't happen in Nebraska. No, no, that wouldn't happen. I wouldn't even believe it. Joe, it's happened over and over. It happens over all again. the time. Yes, it happens yeah. all the time here, but it happens a lot of places. I, I, what was it? The, the with Scotts, they're at fifty-one million dollars of the payouts in the last ten years. Fifty-one million in payouts. It, it to, for, for many coaches, for one guy, for 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 coaches and ads in Nebraska, <laughs> it's a lifestyle change to get fired. You're you're set up for the rest of your life. I mean, yeah. in business, I understand you're going to give a severance package. Probably not life-changing severance package, are they? When you fire somebody, no, then that could be life-changing. Yeah. No, you the ones that are life. You've already made the life change. You're getting you're not, no business is business. They're going to make good business. Now that doesn't mean they can't make stupid decisions, but I acknowledge I can make a stupid decision. Anybody can make a stupid decision. I understand that. I get that. I buy that. I appreciate that. But when that happens, almost as a way of life, that's an embarrassment. Oh, I would agree with you. That's an embarrassment. You okay there, Rob? I'm good. I, I got my, I got my caffeine here. All right, I I'm thought like you were, recaffeinated. I thought you were getting enough to take a piss, but I no, don't, no, I'm, no. I'm refilling. <laughs> I'm recharging right you, now. You know, you, you brought something up. I, I'm, I'm curious because you said you weren't really liked when you first started at Coastal, and I remember that. Um, well, uh, this is a great point. Can I circle back to something? Absolutely. Before we get on that, yeah. You talked about when you were looking at recruits. And you said when you looked at these four-star guys, five-star guys, big-name three-star guys, whatever, you said when you really did an analysis, you went back and you looked two, three years later. And you said, yeah, it was maybe about 50% of the time you were wrong. What were the reasons that these guys didn't pan out? Is that something you can speak to? 
Yeah, I can speak to that because they are the principles I used at Coastal to help us. They were what I felt figured were mistakes. Now, remember, I coached for 16 years before I went to the business world. True. And having come back and sitting in all the meetings at Nebraska, I can see, well, other than the technology and a little bit of some of the things in the game, they didn't change much. Really didn't change much. And stuff that I thought didn't quite make sense my first time around, I'm thinking, it really doesn't make sense now. <laughs> okay, so that's part. And I knew, I didn't know for sure if I was going to get a job, but I thought it was unique enough somebody take a shot at me. And I said, what? but they're not going to give me a great job. They're going to give me a job of struggling. And I got it, but I've kind of had to do that all my life anyway. So I got to come in. I know I got to, I, I, I know that, but I better get recruiting right. I better hire the right people to coach and I better get recruiting right. So I, that's why I felt I needed to do an analysis. And I don't even think I included Nebraska in the analysis. There were five teams. Uh, what the hell? I don't remember. I could probably get them wrong, but I think it was Oklahoma, Colorado. I don't remember. Two, three other teams. And I think I went back five years and had some of my staff. I got this from SI. The, the information is all out there. It was easy to get. And uh, then he gave it some of my staff to just kind of break down and analyze. So once you had the data, all I was looking at, who were you? Who did you? All, this is it. Who did you announce? It wasn't that sophisticated. Who did you announce the signing day? And after two seasons, who was like going into the third season? Who started? Or who's on it too deep? And who playing special teams? And I didn't count guys who were injured. And I saw fifty percent of them weren't there. Fifty percent here, there were big shots. Weren't on the two deep, two plus years later, I, going into the third season. That that actually seems about right. And, yeah. and maybe I maybe I'm maybe it's because I've never been a big fan of recruiting. Anyway, I mean, we do not talk recruiting on this podcast. Yeah, well, a, a little bit. We don't go. We're not Sean Callahan. Recruiting. No, we don't go in depth. Yeah, we don't go in. Oh, they signed a guy. Big deal. What's right? a, what's a reason a guys didn't make it? Were there common themes when guys didn't? Make I, I it? didn't. I didn't look at why they didn't make it. I didn't look at why they didn't make it. But I looked at what were the common mistakes I believed existed from having coached and recruited. Right. So uh, I might I might miss one because I haven't thought about this for a little while. So when it got to coastal. Uh, again, I, I had to hire the right people. But in terms of how we're going to recruit, when you're recruiting, especially during the season, I mean, again, you know what the life is like. You're working 75, 80 hours a yep. week. You don't get a day off. Five. What happens, you're exhausted. I mean, you're exhausted. Now, coaches act like this. I don't like this either. But sometimes we act like we're blockheads. We act like macho, tough guys, and we brag we worked 15 hours yesterday. I find <laughs> it just, that doesn't do a whole lot for me. And... Uh, uh, and, and and then when it's time to recruit, you're exhausted. But you got to make like you got to visit a high school game on a Friday, or you got to make like ten calls over a weekend. You're exhausted. You got no zip, nothing left. Okay. Then in the off season, you're still exhausted from from the season. So now you go out and road and you're recruiting, doing all your things. Here's some of the things that happen. First, at the staff meeting, not staff meeting within the staff, usually. You want somebody to corroborate your view of perspective of a player. So you ask, you know, uh, I'm the quarter, and I ask my defensive line, what do you think of this guy? If he's neutral on the guy, he's probably going to tell me, oh, yeah, yeah, I think, I think he's okay. Now, if he's negative, he's going to tell the truth. Yeah. But, but it, uh, and because you know what? I'm going to show him my guy now, 
And remember, I don't think any of them think this guy stinks, but I'm going to tell him is okay. No, but there's so many borderline calls go either way. They go the way of the guy that's asking to help out. So one of the things we did then was I said, no one can watch film together on an individual recruit. Can't do that. And I want three separate coaches evaluating the kid. And I want three separate coaches with independent grades. And all this, like, is this guy an All-American? Is he going to be an F? Is he going to be this? Like, everybody's got all different crazy perspective. But you spend too much time talking about a kid. Again, increases your exhaustion, right? So, well, he's pretty good to his left, but he's not as fluid as he should be. He's got twitch hips. And you kind of go on going, okay. So we had uh, uh, letter grades, ABC. So... A was, there's no way ever, ever under cir- any circumstance I ever want to play against this kid. All right, he was an A. <laughs> then there's a C, we're like, I would mortgage my house and offer to sell my children and my wife so I get an opportunity to play against this guy. That's a C. So somewhere in the middle is a B. Now, we knew we weren't going to get A's, so, but we got to get, we got to get, we got to get B pluses to win. But B pluses mean I got three individual separate grades from coaches. There's no overlap. Blind blind tests? Yes. Okay. Yes. What I find interesting about this, because this happens in basketball a lot, and I don't know if it happens in football, is that assistant coaches end up fighting one another because they want their guy. So you you eliminated that. you, You just did an analytical approach to say, all right, where's the grade at? Three different blind tests. Here's what it is. If it's a B plus... He's probably going to get a deal, right? I mean, but you yes. don't, you don't have you don't have an assistant coach going. But come on, come on, coach! I really believe in this guy. I mean, it, it takes the emotion out of it. It takes the emotion out. It takes. And when you're at a meeting, in the beginning, the guys were still used to doing it the way they've always done it, and they start to go through the. And, and I'm trying to be respectful early on in my first year. I'm going, you've been talking about this kid for four minutes. Is he an A, B, or C? Then he said, "Well, A, B, or C." B plus. Okay, we're good. Next guy. Next guy. You didn't get it. Is he an A, B, or C? Then eventually we go around the table very seriously talking about recruits. And we go, no, he's a B. No, he's an A. I said, well, why do you guys disagree? We said, okay, there's a reason why we disagree. But you didn't know that because you're looking at the film together. You made independent decision that. So what, for me, that felt that if I had three coaches, by the way, here's another thing. A coach could be a very good coach and a shitty recruiter. A guy could be a great recruiter and a good coach and a shitty evaluator of talent. All those things kind of come together. You could do a good job of evaluating a kid as a senior in high school, but you're not able to project to what he might be as a, don't go to a senior yet, it's too far, but like as a sophomore in high, at college. So th- those were all different skill sets. But I believe by doing it this way independently, most of the time, we were going to be right, picking the right athlete, at least athlete. Okay, That's the first thing. Second thing, signing day. You already brought it up here. Iowa, you take a two-star, make him a four-star. People talk about how many stars he's got. We never were allowed to talk about that. We don't want to hear about stars. We want to know about it. I don't care if it's a one-star, 24-star. I don't want to know. If you bring it up, it's a problem. You got to leave the room. You got to stay in the corner. You can't bring that up. So we don't talk about stars. But here's the biggest biggest faux pas that gets made. And remember, everybody's tired, but everybody's got a big, big, uh, big competitor. Let me begin in my own little world. Lafayette, the big competitor is Lehigh. By the way, they're going to play the 158th game this Saturday. Really? Are you going? No. I'll go to Virginia. No, I'm not going to go to that game. But so, big, 
we're sitting around. And I remember I, when I first joined the staff, I was coming from high school. And they, uh, they embraced me as a coach. But when it came to recruiting, because I had not done that before, it was like, then I'm going to give benefit to a guy that's a little small and stuff like that. You know, I would be challenged a lot as far as that. That's fine. The, uh, but, but all I had to say, all I had to say, well, no, Lehigh's recruiting the guy. Well, you know, I think you got a good point there. And then I would get the guy because I said Lehigh. Now, if I said that, I'm sure it was the truth. But but the <laughs> truth is, no, but the truth is that doesn't mean Lehigh evaluated the kid, yeah. right? Right. So we're assuming Lehigh did everything right and all those things take place. But if I said Lehigh or any guys in staff was on a borderline case of Lehigh, he's getting in. Or not he's getting in. We're going to recruit him. Dartmouth. <laughs> now here I, I was already established myself by then. It kinda I think I, I was respected in terms of what I say. I said this guy, blah, 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 blah. But the head coach still it was Joe Ukeke. He was the head coach of Boston College. At the time, he was the winningest coach of Boston College. He left Boston College to take a 10-year deal, lifetime deal at Dartmouth. Uh, so he was respected around the country. Anyway, so he, uh, you know, so he would kind of chimes, no, coach, this is what I think. This is what I think. This is blah, 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 blah. But again, he'd want to look at the film himself. By the way, one of the things I really almost never did was, why would I need to look at I had three guys evaluate the guy, and I'm going to come in. I'm assuming I automatically get to evaluate the guy better than any of them. Now, I always evaluate a question mark or an attitude issue, something like I'd evaluate that guy. So you delegated and trusted the people who were doing the, that? I'm a pretty good delegator, yeah. I definitely delegated across the board, yeah, but I've been doing that for a while. I know. Well, I, but I, Yeah, 100%. But I see that in the, because as we've grown as a company where I work now, delegation is the hardest part. I mean, we've, we've doubled, tripled our revenue in the last 10 years. But as you, you you go from a small family company to a pretty large, delegation is a hard thing to do to give up. And I, and I know you were talking, Coach Coach Osborne was a micromanager. I'm sitting, I'm sitting here thinking that right now. It's like he didn't delegate a lot. Defense, he delegated the defense, Charlie and his staff. Did he delegate recruiting or was he pretty hands-on on the recruiting? Um, actually, recruiting, I think he really delegated that. I mean, there was, I mean, I think he had a say in a lot of it. But I mean, it, it, yeah, that, that's kind of a hard one for me to speak to because I was in Nebraska. You're that home state kid. I'm on the offensive line. Well, I'm seeing these guys. I'm seeing Dan Young and Milt Teneper all the time anyway because I'm going to football camps and I'm down on campus. My dad worked yeah. at UNL. So I'm down on campus all the time. So I'd see those guys all the time. So my recruiting experience at Nebraska is really skewed. I mean, it's not very accurate. My understanding, however, is, is that a lot of those coaches did their – they did all their own recruiting. They had a territory. You had guys who were really, really good who were kind of closers and would kind of do a great job within specific regions. I mean, I think like Darlington handled California uh, – Kevin Steele was sort of the southern United States. Jack Pierce had Louisiana and Texas, and it kind of went from there. But, I mean, it was – I think Osborne did delegate the recruiting, but when it came to the actual coaching, at least on the offensive side, Osborne, he, he was the play caller. He was the offensive coordinator. He was the quarterback's coach. He was the head guy. He kind of did everything. And, I mean, that was something that I thought um, – for better or worse, I don't say this necessarily as a criticism. It was just how Osborne did it. But when he named Solich as his successor, I think it always sort of hamstrung Solich a little bit because the entire time I was in Lincoln, Solich was the 
assistant head coach. And I'm sitting there going like, I see the guy coaching running backs every day, and that's it. Yeah, I don't know what he's doing from an, an assistant head coach standpoint because Osborne's doing everything. Well, I, if I remember correctly, David Sokol had to keep basically teach him how to be a CEO. I mean, he, he had David be a consultant there for a little bit. Um, which was interesting. You know, you your story's been told so many times. We told it the last time you were on here, but I, I never asked you this question last time you were here, and that is you were an extremely successful business person going into the coaching world. I'm not saying at Coastal, but did were you treated like an outsider from peers? How did they treat you? How were you treated by... At Coastal? Yeah, not not you, you, at Coastal, but other... The competition. Did did other coaches treat you as a as an even peer, or were they like you just you? No, didn't. no. I think no. I think the other coaches might have said, tried to recruit against us. Might have said, "Okay, he's not a coach; he's a business guy." They may have said that, but no, not not them. It was the people within the uh, coastal Carolina community and, and the neighborhood, not the neighborhood. I mean, the entire community yeah. that uh, they they did like the guy before me. Um, he got off to a great start. He had. A very prominent figure in town. He's a, a good Southern guy that could tell a good story, and loved being up on a billboard to represent some somebody, someplace. He did very well his first four years. His last five years, he was twenty nine and twenty eight. It was a soft schedule against the two tough th- best teams in the league. He was one and nine, and half of those were really really bad beats. And his kids APR. Assuming it's the same, I think if you got to nine twenty five, like you started to give up scholarship, it was a real penalty. We were at nine thirty three. Guys were getting in trouble. They weren't graduating. All those things were happening. So if you look at that, yeah, I probably should have been fired maybe a year early. But it was not handled well. It was handled poorly. So I think the decision to let him go was probably made at the same time. I said I will come, and but they didn't let him go then. So then the latest you let him go was like an hour after the last game. They let him go out on the road. So the coaches all felt, I remember everybody was liked. I think everybody thought, no, we probably need somebody else. But everybody was liked. They let him go out on the road and they pull him back over the road. And that's when they fired him. And that became a mess. And this guy was the popular guy. The administration wasn't particularly popular. And then everybody's waiting, well, who are they going to bring in? Who are they going to bring in? They're going to bring in like Coach Osborne coming back from, from to coach. And they bring in this Joey Moggs guy from the Bronx coming down from <laughs> Omaha, who's the Ameritrade guy. A lot of people didn't even look at, even try to take a look. By the time I got there, I had 16 years, plus two years in Nebraska, but one year the Omaha Niners, that's 19 years I had been coaching. And I think as a head coach, maybe not as a linebacker coach, but my skills sets that you need as a head coach, I just think, uh, they were better than what they would have been because my experience is a pretty senior guy in the business world. Uh, but no, I wasn't, I, I was disliked and I have proof of that. So well, that amazes me because I would have thought there would have been other coaches within your league like whatever, right? we we got a business guy, we're not even going to give him the, the time of day. But you're saying it came worse from the... Well, I was beating them. Once I started beating them, they started giving the time yeah. of day. How about athletic directors? Like when you speak at the athletic director, do you have their attention from from that business standpoint? The first time I did was about four or five years ago. I think that was the last time they did before the conference. And I was asked to speak on leadership. And I remember thinking this is going to be – because I was still coaching. And my name would pop up for jobs, but I wouldn't necessarily get one. So I was sensitive to that. So when I began the talk, I said, look, I said, I was – the organization, the Global Summit, uh, Global Sp- Summit Group – the year before, they had me speak to the leaders of 
uh, professional franchises, like the GMs, the presidents, et cetera. It was a big, big, big hit. Based on that, they asked me to speak to the ownership. That was a hit. So based on that, they asked me to speak to the athletic directors. And I really was hesitant. So when I got up on stage, I said, I, I said something like that. I said, here's why they asked me here. And I said, I almost turned it down. Because I recognize my name pops up for other jobs. I recognize that. I said, so it may look like I'm here for an interview. I'm not here for an interview. I said, here's why I'm here. I respect all you in the room and your jobs and your leaders. I said, but I think I've got something that has separated me as a football coach and as a business guy for, and as an individual for the last you know, four or five decades of my life. I just want to share with you what I think is my single most competitive advantage I've had in my entire personal professional lifetime. That's what I want to share. I did that. I did a good job. I was well, well received. Jack Swarbrick asked me to come in and talk to his coaching staff at, at Notre Dame. I actually said, I think Notre Dame's going to have such big egos. I don't think they're going to. They're going to say, who's this coach from Carolina guy? I said, you should think that through. A week later, I said, I thought, you're probably right. It's not going to make sense. But I was well respected for that. Four years later, they said, we don't want you to talk about leadership. We want to get your perspective. Now, now, I'm not coaching. I want to get your perspective on the real state of college athletics. But what threw a monkey wrench into that was NIL. This was, yeah. at first you have their NIL. And I was, said, well, you want to, here's the, here's what I think. You should break away from the NCAA. The NCAA, the worst possible thing could happen. But you guys are smart. You got your plan, you got your deals, but you, you keep slowing down. You slow down because you talk, talk about like what's going to do, do to the, uh, to the tennis team. To the female tennis team. Then you talk about, oh, are they students or are they employees? What, 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 how are we going to figure that out? And we want to do that, but the lawyers tell us, no, 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 no. I said, you've gone nowhere. I said, you treat it like a business? What you're missing is there's no sense of urgency. I said, I compliment everything you're saying, everything you're doing, zero sense of urgency. So right now you are a beautiful oil tanker in the middle of the ocean, big, beautiful, you kind of move slow. You're competing against 20 well-armed uh, uh, marine uh, ships that are zipping all over the place around you, ahead of you, but they can take you down anytime they want to. I said, but you got to catch up. And if you don't, they said they come up with something in September, which they haven't. I said, you come up with something like five months from now, they're going to be that much further ahead of you. So you got to get a stick. And then I actually gave, here are my suggestions for what you could do to get this done. And, uh, but, you know. Want to be respectful of your time because we're about an hour, eleven minutes into this podcast, or we we could talk all night. Um, would you ever want to be on the college football playoff committee? Because I think you've got the, I, I think you've got what it takes to be on that. You know what? I, I I've never even given that any thought, but I think that'd be something. I don't want to do anything that I don't love doing that I'd be good at, that I enjoy doing. No, I think that might be something that never come up, but I think I I, I think so. I think so. I mean, the, the uni it's a unique perspective just from a business standpoint. I think from an analytical standpoint. Now, we brought it up, and, and, and it's been I, – I would like to see it still, is that you need a professional handicapper. You need a, an, an odds maker on there because I do think they offer a completely different perspective. Spritzer brought it up on – you weren't, yeah, no, you weren't I, so I, against it. No. I, honestly, it oddly makes sense to it me. It does. Just from a power rankings to – yeah. I, I, I mean, legalized gambling is becoming more and more – popular you can't ignore it, it it's all it over is, every nfl stadium yeah, it's it, everywhere it is but when you look at the evaluation that they're doing of the teams and i'm talking about vegas yes. right now i'm talking about the handicappers when you look at their evaluations i mean the smart ones the good ones there's just i mean it's almost cold how little emotion goes in. zero 
And I think that's something that you need. I mean, that's kind of the reason I like the idea of it for, uh, for the college football playoff is because you, you remove that emotion from it. And I think that's important when you're selecting these teams. Joe, uh, I, I tell you what, it's always a fascinating conversation with you. I, you, you do interviews with some of the biggest people in, in television. I, I see you on, uh, on Fox Business. I see you on CNBC, all that stuff. The, you have more fun doing our, ours, though, don't you? This is the most – I don't even consider it. I consider myself sitting down with two buddies. We have like-minded <laughs> approaches to life, and like we just sit down and chat. This, if it is an interview, this is my most favorite interview. <laughs> okay, hey, final question I got for it, because I actually wore one of my old Giants. I see players. that. I see that. You're a New York guy. Yep. Giants or Jets? Oh, Giants. Ask me, by, ask me about baseball. Ask me about baseball. You better be a Yankees, Yankees. 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 I mean, like, I, like why <laughs> we, never, I'm, I'm insulted you'd even ask there's me There's no question. Giants guy that doesn't like the Yankees. It's Jets and Mets, Giants and That's Yankees. That's fair. Rangers That's or fair. Islanders? Rangers. Yeah, Rangers or yeah. If you're a Giants or Yankees fan, you like the. Well, Rangers. you're just sticking with Manhattan. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you got Long Island. You got the uh, then, but you left out hockey. No, no, you no, just yeah, have your yeah. hockey. You, you left out uh, basketball. basketball. Well, I would assume yeah, the Knicks because the Nets when you're growing up were in New Jersey, right? I mean, that's Heck, the the Nets were New Jersey when I was yeah. there. Yeah, that's the, the Brooklyn thing's only a, a new thing. Yeah, that's a few years ago. Yeah. That's not that long. So. Well, how how about how about the Inwood Rams, and the and the Bronx Bombers, well, the Inwood Rams. Yeah, that that was my local neighborhood football oh, really? team. Okay, it was in eighth grade. <laughs> I like the Bronx, Bronx Bombers. Like We're the Yankees. Actually, like uh, part <laughs> of the the the, the semi professional league, not league team, that the Yankees used to sponsor were the Bronx Bombers. No way. When I was nineteen, I played. Not in the Bronx Bombers, but in that league that against the Bronx Bombers, and yeah. So, but the Bronx Bombers be the Yankees. You, you, I, you know what? I, I I hesitated, and in front of you two guys that are so quick minded, I thought if two seconds goes by, they're going to ignore me. So I, I just threw out the Bronx. Bombers. <laughs> I couldn't could think of another name. You know, you may or may not remember this because I remember your 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 uh, personal assistant got a hold of us when you were going in the uh, I, I think it was the the Hall of Fame at at, at uh, Coastal. You, 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 she invited us, or she said you invited us down there, and I, we couldn't make it. But we were very—I did invite you. Yeah, we were very touched and honored that you'd even think of asking us to come down. I was in the. You, you were down in Florida. You yeah, were at I the was, you, Florida State Clemson game, yeah. and uh, I had to stay here with my daughter because my 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 wife was down in New Orleans. So our our oldest daughter goes to Florida State, so yeah. we were down there visiting. Yeah. So. On the way down there, you could have stopped at Myrtle Beach. We should have. Got to my thing and then go ahead. <laughs> yeah, Myrtle Beach. What a, what a tough place to, to live. Hey, you're, you're a golfer, right? Yeah. What do you think of this live thing? I'm a big live golf guy. You mean the whole thing in uh, Asia? Yeah, well, no, the, the, the Middle East. The Greg, Greg Norman's thing. Yeah. The Middle, the Middle East golf yeah, thing. Yeah. The, the, yeah. the other league, yeah. right? Yeah. Again, go back to uh, uh, business. It's, it's competition. So, like, the PGA has gotten away from with whatever they've been for, like, a decade after yeah. decade after decade. They're a monopoly. So somebody else says, we'd like to have a league. Now, when we've done that with the USFL or the CFL or the XFL or the UFL with the Nighthawk, et cetera, it was run poorly. It was poor. Well, these guys got a lot of money to throw at it. Now, by the way, originally, the first year of the UFL, they were throwing a ton of money. That's why they went out of business the third year. <laughs> Quickly. So they better know what they're doing. But I think they got a lot of money. But the reality is... 
it, that's it's, it's business. It's life. Kind of like look at all the revenue coming from TV. Yep. It's at some point you not think the player's going to get some of that. So control how they get it rather than make believe it's not going to happen. Great stuff. Joe Moglia, thank you for stopping. And again, open invitation whenever you're in Omaha. Thank you, guys. You can, you, can, <laughs> you can stop by here. Of course, the Doc Talk podcast is presented by Betfred Sports. Download the Betfred Sports app today on the Apple and Google Play stores. Um, if you are in Iowa, Arizona, or Colorado, and you open up a brand new account, use the promo code DOCTALK and get a $20 free bet. Again, Betfred Sports, the official presenting sponsor of the Doc Talk podcast. If you're looking to head out to Memorial Stadium to watch the Huskers take on Wisconsin, be sure to check out my friends at Ticket for Less. Ticket for Less, known for a generation as Ticket Express, has the best selection of tickets for all your favorite events, including Nebraska. Head over to ticketsforless.com now and save on your next order when you use the promo code DOCTALK at checkout. That again is DOCTALK at ticketsforless.com. Big thanks to our good buddy, Scotty's Trunk over at Husker Hounds, two locations in the Omaha area. The big superstore over there at 84th and Center. You need Husker gear, go see Husker Hounds. And Connor Orr with Orr, Horrigan, and Flinty. He's our NIL lawyer and specialist. If you need a litigator, go to ohlflaw.com. For Joe Moglia, for Dr. Rob Zanisk, I'm Travis Justice. We'll talk to you next time on the Doc Talk Podcast presented by Betfred Sports. Sports.